I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Father, thank you that your words to us are living, active. They are truth and they are life, especially your eternal word, our Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to us now. Give us wisdom and enlightenment in your Holy Spirit. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, we are on the fifth Sunday of Easter. We're still in those great 50 days, that great season of rejoicing, that great season where Tertullian, the great Latin church father of North Africa, said, this is a most joyous space, a space that I forbid anyone kneeling. So we are in that season still. And tonight, we have a wonderful story, one of my favorite stories, about Philip going to this Ethiopian, preaching the gospel. But more importantly, we have a parable spoken by Jesus. And I want you to see that tonight they're connected. We're going to look at them and how they're connected in a living way. Now, tonight's sermon really is inspired by our pastorate meeting this last Wednesday night. And one of our pastorate members said, you know, I get it. It's resurrection. I get it. Jesus is risen from the dead. That means we're, you know, risen from the dead, etc., but, but this person said, you know, but it's kind of stuck as an idea. It's, it's a reality, I get that, but it's like an idea reality. I don't know if it's really, really real. Like, not that the person doubted the resurrection, but they just thought, how do I experience this life of this resurrection right now? John 15, Jesus, in his final hours with his disciples, it's, it's what we call the farewell discourse, John 14 through, through 16, in John 15, he takes the most down-to-earth, the most tangible, the most practical, and perhaps the most enjoyable analogy that he can find, and he says, this is what it's like to experience resurrection. To experience resurrection, to know that you're living in the resurrection, means that, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Jesus is saying, if you've heard my word that I've spoken to you, verse 3, he says his word, his logos, that's the entirety of his teaching. And we saw a couple weeks ago that Luke 24 refers to really the whole of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. All of it points to Jesus, the fact that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be killed, and on the third day rise again. So Jesus says, if my word comes to you and finds its home in you, if it abides in you, if it remains, then you're a branch to my vine. 
And we think, well, Jay, that's all neat and good, but what is that supposed to mean? Well, when there's a branch coming off of a vine, what does the, what does the branch receive from the vine? Nutrients? Life? The ability to be what it is, what it was made to be? Trust me, when I lived in Florida, I hated vines. It would grow everywhere. You could cut it down, and the next day it would be 100 foot taller. And so I realized, oh, genius, Jay. Don't worry, I'm not a genius. Because I would cut the vine up the tree, and I thought, oh, you know, let's get rid of that vine. And then, you know, more would grow back. Then I realized, ah, you'd have got to go down to the root. Because all the branches that grow off of this vine receive its life and its source of life from the vine. So the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection pours forth and shows forth in the reality that we are connected to Jesus, literally. But Jay, I don't see him. Sometimes I don't feel him. Is this all just a story? What does it even look like to be connected to Jesus? How does one get to be connected to the vine? Moreover, is this just some sort of thing that this small community told each other? in order to perpetuate this small community? Those are all great questions. Those are all good doubts. I want us to look at Acts chapter 8 as a prime example of how one becomes connected to the vine. Now, Acts chapter 8. We find this Ethiopian eunuch minding his own business. Now, a few things about this Ethiopian eunuch. First of all, he served in the court of Candace the queen, but she was like the, what we would call the queen mother, if you watch The Crown. She was like the queen mother, okay? And he served in her court. Now, he was not part of Israel because he was from where? A lovely country, Ethiopia. It's one I quite adore. He was not part of Israel. So uh, what St. Paul would later say about everyone who's a Gentile, everyone who's not an Israelite, you don't have the covenants. You don't have the promises. You didn't receive the gospel, the gospel that was given to Israel, if you will. So first of all, the eunuch is an outsider. Secondly, he's a eunuch, which I don't really know how to talk about that, but you probably know, and if you don't, ask your parents later. Gosh, you're welcome, parents. And that's how we support families. <laughs> and according to the law of Moses, eunuchs were not allowed to worship. They were not allowed to be in the, the tabernacle courts and later the temple courts. So this guy's an outsider, yet he would have been in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Moreover, not just was he there to worship for the Feast of Pentecost, and may, maybe, just maybe, he overheard all the raucous that St. Peter and all the other apostles, Bartholomew as well, as the tongues of fire came upon them there in that upper room, and then they went out and they were speaking the wonders of God in different tongues that they did not know, and people thought they were drunk, maybe this Ethiopian guy was like, hey, that's what I heard from these guys. So we know that, in the words of a prayer Solomon would utter way back in First Chronicles 29, we know that the Ethiopian's heart is turned to the Lord. We know that he's seeking after God. It reminds us of John chapter 12, when there were a bunch of Greeks. Remember Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he cleanses the temple, and then there are these Greeks that are in the city for the festival, for the Passover at this point. And who do they find? Who do the Greeks, the God-fearing Greeks find? They find Philip. 
And who does the Spirit choose to go speak to this God-fearing, not Jew, but Ethiopian? Philip. Philip was ready. It says the angel of the Lord, that could be another word for the Spirit of God, God's messenger, spoke to Philip and sent him to this outsider. And the angel of the Lord said, go, go to the road that leads to Gaza. Time out. Maybe you've heard Gaza lately in the news. It's still not a happy place. Gaza is one of the five ancient cities of the Philistines. People who are often considered the enemies of God. Wait a minute. This guy's not of Israel. He's a eunuch. He's going towards a place that's a place of the enemies of God. When you look up any of those Philistine cities in the Old Testament, they're always listed as shame on them, judgment on them, don't marry a woman from there, yada, yada, yada. So it's, do you see what's piling up? This guy's a total outsider, and even the way that Luke writes it, he's going to a place of outsiders. And yet the angel of the Lord sends Philip. And Philip gets there, and he happens upon him, and he hears this Ethiopian whose heart is turned towards the Lord. Now remember, I'm telling this whole story so that you can see how one becomes connected to the vine, the true vine, Jesus And the Ethiopian is there and he's reading. Now, while he was in Jerusalem, he happened to go by the scroll store, perhaps. Sorry, it's not very technical language, I know. And he goes by the scroll store and he has the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Now, one did not just run around with a scroll from the Old Testament scriptures. It wasn't like maybe you have the Bible on your iPhone or even in a book. It's a scroll, probably written in Greek. Greek is probably not his native tongue. And so there he is in his chariot on his way to Gaza, going back, leaving Jerusalem after being in the city for the Feast of Pentecost. And he's he's reading this aloud because Philip overhears him. And can you imagine his consternation, perhaps, at reading Greek, learning it? He probably had plenty of time on his hands, so he learned some Koine Greek. Reading it, taking it in, but also being puzzled. And in his own words, needing a guide. And so we have this. We have the word of God spoken. And Philip overhears him and he approaches the chariot and he says this. Do you understand what you're reading? Now remember, these are just words. These are just words. Black words. And he says, how can I understand these words? How can I understand the reality behind these words? I'm I'm reading this into it now with my own words unless someone guides me, unless someone interprets to me what this is speaking of. And it turns out he's reading Isaiah 53, this passage of the suffering servant, a passage that probably would not have been considered to be related to the Messiah, save for the events of about seven or eight weeks before. So he's reading the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, And he reads the passage and he says, who is this written about, I ask you? Is it written about the prophet himself? Or is it about someone else? Verse 35. You've got it in your bulletin or in your Bible, Acts 8, 35. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So, Philip opens his mouth. Philip has been walking with Jesus at the pace of life for three years. Philip, who's from Bethsaida and Galilee, 
a town with Gentiles in it, up in Galilee, where people don't, they don't care too much about the law, and they're okay. Remember about Galilee, it's, it's kind of off the map. It's full of a people that are forgotten, who were overlooked. And yet Philip, who had been walking with Jesus for these three years, and who knows exactly what Philip understood, but by now, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, remember the Spirit comes, Jesus would say later in chapter 15 of John, the Spirit comes to be our counselor, to come alongside us, to teach you everything that you need to know about me, Jesus would say. And so Philip, full of the Holy Spirit, we can only presume, opens his mouth and he speaks to him the good news of Jesus. Now the Ethiopian hears this. He responds in faith. And just so you know, verse 37, I'm, I'm surprised it was in our bulletin because it's, it's not in most Bibles. Uh, most scholars believe that verse 37 is added in later, and so I don't have it right here before me in my Bible. Um, but we see, though, this requisite reality of being grafted into the vine. You have someone whose heart is turned to God somehow. Someone who, in this case, is a total outsider. I want you to hear that. God looks for the outsider. He looks for the one whose heart is hopeful, whose heart is turned towards him, whose heart may be on the verge of giving up. So God sends himself, the angel of the Lord told Philip, so that he can send his own person, Philip, to go to this Ethiopian to help him understand Isaiah 53, so that the Ethiopian, hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, can say, this is true. This is reality. St. Paul would describe it in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. These are just words. But they're powerful. Because the reality that they proclaim, the reality that they invite you and I into, the reality that facilitates a living connection with the true vine happens through these words. And it just so happens as they're on their road towards Gaza that they see water. And the Ethiopian says, what prevents me from being baptized? And in verse 37, in the added in addition, there's a little test of faith. Do you, do you believe? Of course I believe. And so they, go to, they both go into the water. Notice what Luke says. It's so beautiful to me. They both go into the water. Commands the chariot to stop, verse 38. And they both went down into the water, comma, Philip and the eunuch, as if we didn't know who was going down into the water. I think there's an emphasis here. I think there's a reminder here that they... When you, whenever you see a stream or a river, especially in this part of the country, it's not just like this placid thing, you know, like the Moldau, you know, running through uh, Eastern Europe. This is a desert, and through the desert, there's a, a ditch, and in the ditch, there's water. And they both go down into the water. The Ethiopian eunuch doesn't go by himself. He walks with somebody. He's in community as he hears these words, as he responds in faith. 
And then as he's baptized, what happens? Well, if someone comes to faith, they need to be discipled. They do, and I, I, don't, I do believe that. But what does God do to Philip? Literally spirits him away. He carries him away. The Spirit of the Lord takes him away. In the book of Acts, when people encounter the gospel, when people are baptized, it's not always a, a perfectly sequential thing, but oftentimes we see the Holy Spirit's activity. And so the Spirit shows up just like for Jesus in the day of his baptism. Spirit comes down like a dove as Jesus is coming up out of the water. And Philip is whisked away. So we see the gift of the Spirit on the Ethiopian. And we know that in the nation of Ethiopia, there is an ancient and beautiful and deep Christian tradition. This man took the gospel back. We, do you remember what you just said in Psalm 22? Verse 26, what Marcia read, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall bow before him. You know, Homer and other contemporary poets of the, of the Greek uh, community had a word for the Ethiopians. It was eschatoi androm, the last people on earth. Because for the Greek and the Mediterranean world, the Ethiopians literally lived on the edge of the world. And remember what Jesus told his disciples, that you will be my witnesses when the Spirit comes upon you. And you will proclaim my gospel, beginning here in Jerusalem, and to Judea, and then Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we can see this Ethiopian in one way as an archetype that this guy is the ends of the earth and, and sure enough the gospel will go to the ends of the earth so he takes it back to Ethiopia he preaches in the court I'm sure and this beautiful tradition of the church grows and flourishes in northeast Africa that still survives and is vibrant to this day, and especially here in the city of Dallas, in the northeastern part of Dallas, and in Garland and Richardson. There are Ethiopian and Eritrean brothers and sisters, some of whom are in with our children right now. And all of that, all of their heritage comes from the wisdom of God and this beautiful love of God that saw fit to graft in this outsider who was not part of the covenant was not in the, in the law allowed to worship God, how he sought after him to graft him in to the vine. Now, a little side note, what does Philip do? Well, the Spirit whiffs, spirits him away to Azotus. Azotus is another one of those terrible Philistine cities. It's, it's the ancient city of Ashdod. And starting at Ashdod, remember, these were places of judgment, but now, because of resurrection because of the outpouring of the Spirit, places of judgment are now places where the gospel can come alive and flourish. Philip begins preaching the gospel, telling them, tell all the people from city to city all the good news of Jesus, all the way up the coast until he gets to Caesarea, which was a beautiful man-made port city, beautiful water, and he settles down. And we don't hear anything about Philip for 20 years. He settles down. He has four daughters. You read Acts chapter 21. That's the next time he's mentioned all four of his daughters are prophets serving the Lord. 
speaking the word of God. So we see God sends himself, he sends his spirit, he, to send his people to those who are outside, to those who are broken, to those whose eyes are turned to the Lord so that he might graft them in to the vine. Now notice what Jesus says of himself in John 15, verse 1. Now we're back to John. He says, I, he doesn't just say I'm the vine. He says, I am the true vine. In Psalm 80, the psalmist speaks of God taking a vine and planting it. The psalmist is speaking of the nation of Israel. And here Jesus is saying, friends, disciples, I am the true vine. And my father, he's the vine dresser. He's the one who will tend the vine. Not only that, but he's the one that will take a vine or branch that's bearing fruit and he'll prune it so that it will bear more fruit. But the branch that does not bear fruit will be cast aside. Now what does this have to do with being fully human, I ask you? God's vision for us to live into our full humanity, to be remade in the image and likeness of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, is that we be connected to that vine. Because from that vine comes fruit, comes life. Things that I would not normally do, things that we sing about earlier, sometimes have patience, kindness, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All these fruits that would normally not be native to our beings, but because we are in Christ, because we were in the vine, that fruit comes forth from us. So to be fully human means that we're bearing the fruits of the Spirit. But if we're not in the vine, if we haven't heard that word of faith in responding, if our hearts aren't turned towards the Lord, what happens? It's very stark. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. I think of it this way. In C.S. Lewis's uh, short story, short book, The Great Divorce, people are given a chance to go from hell to heaven. And to me, the, the most powerful part of that story is that those who are, that come from hell and end up in heaven, they're still so consumed by their own desires. They're so consumed by the world, the flesh, and the devil, that when they're given the opportunity to be in heaven and to move towards the high countries, to go further up and further in, most of them refuse because they're so consumed by their own desires. Friends, let us be aware of being consumed by the desires of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because we'll see ourselves withering. We will see ourselves, and, and what is something to be burned, and I'm not saying there is not a hell, but I am saying this as an analogy 
that we can experience hell on earth even now if we reject Jesus, if we allow ourselves to be consumed by these desires. So think about this for a minute. Where do you find yourself, both in the parable, the the vine and the branches, and where do you find yourself in the story of Philip and the Ethiopian? Are you an innocent bystander on the road? Are you a resident of Azotus or one of those cities up along the coastline of the Mediterranean? Are you the Ethiopian, seeking and listening? Are you Philip, who hears the word of God and responds promptly and who continues to take the good news of Jesus Christ? But more importantly, are you grafted into the vine? Are you a branch or are you withering? The Lord's call to us is simple. His desire for us to be fully human, is to bear fruit. So much so that in verse 8, Jesus says, listen, if my words abide in you and you abide in me, ask whatever you wish. Ask it, and it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. And this, as you bear fruit, and as I answer these prayers, this will bring me much glory and bring the Father much glory. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your words to us. Lord, anything not of you that I've said tonight, let it fall away. But let your word take root. May our hearts be fertile soil. Pour on them the love and light of your Holy Spirit so that hearing them, we may truly follow in the way that leads to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.